Hi there. Welcome to Agile Questions Answered, episode seven. Uh, before I get started, I'd just like to say I've been checking out on the stats and we have 185 of you have listened to uh, my podcast so far, which um, if you think of it in terms of uh, a room behind a pub, that would make it uh, pretty crowded, you know, so... Um, I know it's not great for a global audience, but um, I'm pretty happy that uh, you found my uh, podcast and that some of you are at least uh, listening for long enough to maybe gain something from it. Thanks very much. If you think that anyone else would benefit from listening to my podcast, then please recommend it to them. And if you have a question that you'd like me to have a go at, then uh, please get in touch. Anyway, on with the show. Today's question is a bit of a cheat, really, because it's a kind of contrived question uh, out of some research and some thinking I've been doing over the past couple of weeks. The question is, what are wicked problems and how might Agile help to solve them? A long time ago, when I started in this industry, uh, in my first proper job after university, I remember thinking, maybe naively, that you know, decision-making in business would be really easy because it's just about what's profitable in the end. And imagine my surprise when, as a junior electronic engineer uh, then, I spent a lot of time sat in meetings with people who didn't seem to be that energised by the problem that we were trying to solve, but they seemed to be very exercised by sort of putting their own point across. And, and you get certain people who, no matter what the topic of conversation, would use it to advance their own agenda. And it's very strange. When I started doing Agile in the early 2000s, I had the same attitude, you know, I had seen the big process thing where people were trying to get better at delivering software products by putting more and more process in place and it wasn't working. And when I discovered Agile as a kind of an alternative to that, and I tried it in a couple of places, and it was, um, you know, it was very successful. I had that same attitude. I thought, well, you know, this actually works. Surely people will abandon the old process-heavy way of doing things uh, for this much more effective approach. As I have said in some of my previous podcasts, you know, the traditional approach, the step-by-step -step waterfall approach to product development, is kind of the obvious way to do it, but in my opinion, it's not the right way to do it. Coming across wicked problems, I've realized that there's something more subtle and um, complex going on. So what are wicked problems? Well, you can understand them by comparing them to tame problems. So tame problems are problems that are solvable just by following an um, a series of steps. 
So for example, a quadratic equation. All quadratic equations can be solved and they can be solved correctly by going through a certain sequence. And if you know that sequence and you're able to do a bit of algebra, you can solve any quadratic equation. And when you come up with the numbers, that answer will be right or it'll be wrong. Now, tame problems can be really, really complicated. The number of steps that you have to go through might be, you know, a hundred. But essentially, if you go through all of those steps correctly, then you will get the right answer. That's a tame problem. To understand why product development is not a tame problem, let's look at developing a single feature for a software product. So let's say that what you want to do is allow people on your um, I don't know, business accounting project to upload an Excel spreadsheet with, you know, a budget. And then you will display it in your accounting software and you'll do various things with it. So the first thing you're going to have to do after you've done the upload is actually understand the Excel file format. Now, you could write the software to do that by hand. Uh, from scratch. The Excel file format nowadays is a published format, so uh, it's perfectly possible to do, but it is months of work. It's literally months of work. And the great thing is that whatever language that you're using, somebody will have written that program already, and they will have made it available to you as a software library. Inevitably, when a developer is faced with a problem like this, where they need to put in any, most new features, the first thing that they're going to do is look for somebody else who solved that problem before, and they're going to reuse that software. Well, that's all well and good. Integrating that library into your code, into your uh, software, will be easy or it will be hard. Um, there may be things that don't quite work in the way that you expect, but you can certainly do it. Uh, but one, think about what happens once you've done that. You've now got somebody else's code incorporated into yours. And at any time, out in the big wide world, somebody can find a problem with that code. And that code will then require updating. It may need updating in a way that breaks your software. And so you'll have to change the way that your software works in order to incorporate the updated version. And then you're faced with a difficult decision, which is either to leave your software with the old version or upgrade to a new one. And in some cases that might not be possible because, well, for two reasons. One is that the problem might be a serious security fault, uh, which would leave your software product open to exploitation um, and the other is that you know file formats evolve all over time and you might find that you need to upgrade so that you can support the latest version of excel for office now the problem is there is no way of anticipating this 
you've no idea if and when that's going to happen and whether those things are going to be relevant to you. So this is a problem that simply cannot be solved. There isn't a right or wrong answer. Um, the best thing that you can do is choose the better answer. So, for example, in the open source world, you might have a choice. So you've got the choice of write your own library. And then there might be three other libraries that do things. And typically what you would do is you would look to see what other people are doing. And the library that most other people are using is the library that you would choose. And there's very good reasons for that. The firstly is that if a library's got a lot of support, then it's likely to be kept up to date. And the other thing that's slightly more subtle is that if a library is being used in lots of different places, then the chances are that somebody else will find a defect in that library before you do. And therefore you won't be exposed to the problem. If you write your own software, then it's absolutely 100% guaranteed that you will be the person who finds the defect in it and it will affect your code. You can choose to use libraries or not, but there, there isn't a right or a wrong answer. It's just a better or a worse answer. And this is a feature, a key feature of wicked problems. Wicked problems don't have right or wrong answers. They have better or worse answers. Another key feature of wicked problems is called there's no stopping rule. And what that means is that it's not clear when you've solved the problem. So to take our example of a software library that's reading in and understanding an Excel spreadsheet, that's not something that you're going to do once. You're going to have to look out for changes in the Excel spreadsheet format and changes to the library. And so you're going to have to keep redoing the same solution. And this is a key feature of Wicked Problems as well. Hopefully I've persuaded you that um, software development and product development is a Wicked Problem. But it is very difficult for everyone to accept that because there's a lot of people who want to think that everything has a right or wrong answer and that we just haven't found it yet. And you actually see this in science. You hear there's quite a lot of scientists, eminent scientists, who believe that everything is ultimately explainable and there's kind of a unified theory of everything. And there are other scientists who believe that it's more like a kind of fractal picture. So you, you find a solution which describes some kind of phenomenon which you can use to make predictions, which is what science is. But when you do that, it opens up another mystery. So there's a more subtle mystery that you have to um, think about. So, you know, take a simple example. Newtonian mechanics explains in a really, really good way how most of the world that we see works and how bodies interact with each other. It's only when you get down to the very small that breaks down and you have to use another model, which is quantum mechanics. And 
know, if you're like me, uh, you'd say, well, eventually one, when we fully understand and we keep exploring the limits of quantum mechanics, we might find that we need another kind of mechanics to explain the kind of sub, sub, sub particles because quantum mechanics won't work with them, maybe. The upshot of all of this is that in order to successfully de develop products, you need to have people who are very good at making these decisions where there's a load of uncertainty. And it's kind of occurred to me that this is the thing that I've been training myself to do for the last 30 odd years, you know, since I got into this game. So I've got into trying to find the best answer that will help us to move forward rather than the answer that will solve the problem for all time. And there's a here, and I hesitate to draw this parallel, but it's like crack army teams. So for example, in the UK, the SAS, or in the USA, the Navy SEALs, they're trained to go into a completely new situation that they know nothing about, but to use their training to determine what the best actions are at any one point in time. In conclusion, where does this leave us? Well, I think if you're convinced by this, that product development is a wicked problem and no amount of process no matter how rigorous and no matter how tiny the steps in the process are, are going to eliminate the uncertainty from product development, then you need a new approach. And Agile gives you that framework to make better decisions. Because essentially, Agile says, where are we now? We've got this vision. So we've got the vision for the product that we want to create. We know we're a long way from there. We can take a step towards that vision. And then we can look around and see where we are. We thought that that step was in the right direction. Was it actually in the right direction? Or do we need to um, reset our sights and change direction slightly? Agile gives you that framework. You can make better or worse decisions but the great thing about Agile is you find out really quickly whether the decision is a better one or a worse one. You also need the people with the right skills. So you need people who are comfortable operating in these areas of uncertainty, who are comfortable taking decisions in the knowledge that there's a really decent chance that they might turn out to be wrong. But that they can still move forward and they have the skills to evaluate the, um, the situation that they're in and choose what's the best um, decision given the data that's available to them at the time. And, you know, those people are not sort of strange geniuses. This decision-making ability the ability to appraise the situation that you're in and uh, make a decision based on that, this is a skill. That skill can be taught. 
And in fact, uh, years ago, I did the, um, it's called uh, Kapnatrego, uh, Problem Solving and Decision Making. It's a very useful systematization of the kind of things that I and other practitioners in this area would do almost um, intuitively. I hope that that's been useful for you. Um, I think it's given me a good insight, uh, my thinking over the last couple of weeks, into why people uh, find Agile difficult to um, take on. You know, I think that, like it or not, there are people, and I, I don't think it's like an intelligence thing, that they want the world to be orderly, they want there to be answers to questions. The way I see the world, it's not like that. The way I see the world, there's there's better and worse. And, you know, sometimes you just have to make a choice. There's a Tom Waits song called um, Fumbling with the Blues. And uh, there's a line in that which I always like, which is two dead ends and you've still got to choose. Generally, there is a better option. But sometimes, you know, the options are equally bad and you just have to choose one of them and then deal with the fallout. I think that you can see that Agile with the framework does offer some hope in this area. I think that using that understanding that what you're doing is you're making better or worse decisions, you're not making right or wrong decisions can be really helpful. So, as I say, I hope you enjoyed that and I will uh, post another podcast uh, in another few weeks. Bye for now.